You are listening to the Social Science Kaleidoscope. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Social Science Kaleidoscope with your host, Kaylai. And again, another episode, another guest. Uh, but before we introduce the guest today, um, I just want to say thank you so much for listening up until this point. And be sure to follow the podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. And be sure to follow the socials for the podcast on Instagram at kalai.thescope or on Twitter at KMDLAI. So you don't miss a single drop of the new episodes. All right. So that's all the self-promotion that I have. Uh, today, I have another fellow RA colleague that was a year below me. And she was in the micro. She worked in the microeconomics function, and I'm very excited for her because she is moving on to doing her econ PhD program in the fall. We have Rachel Pomerantz today. What's up? Hi, I'm I'm so excited to be on the show. Long time listener, first time guest. <laughs> Long time listener, first time guest. I am so flattered <laughs> that you listen to the show. Um, and yes, I'm very excited to have you. So. Thank you so much for your time today. So for those of us that don't know who you are, could you do a quick intro of yourself? Yeah, sure. So as, as you said, I work at the Fed currently as a research analyst. I work on the microeconomics team. And so we work on um, like behavioral and labor economics. I am from Charlotte, North Carolina, originally from Ohio, though. And I went to the University of Pennsylvania and then in the fall, I'll be starting my PhD in economics at Harvard. So <laughs> That's very, very exciting to hear. And I do want to hear more about your experiences up until this point. But um, I do know that you've told me, at least in our conversations in the past, that you know, you've done a radio show in the past. And so I'm just actually kind of mm -hmm. curious about that. Like, what was the radio show on and what did you talk about? I... Uh, did a radio show with my friend. It was called Don't Get Us Started. And so the premise of the show was talking about things that make you say, don't get us, don't get me started on, on this. And so we also had guests and we would hear rants about the like random campus hot topic or philosophical musings. Um, frequently, because I talked a lot on the podcast, we would talk about politics and okay. football. Um, my co-host, was also into politics, but much more um, into the into the entertainment space. A good mix of of, of topics. Um, I had my fair share of rants about economics. <laughs> <laughs> That's very very cool to hear. And hopefully, you will feel at home on this podcast because I try to keep it as unfiltered <laughs> as possible. And um, I think it's very valuable in some sense to share the, kind of the unfiltered. Um, I mean, it just it's just a very easy way to kind of get to know people um and get to know what they're interested in so that's very cool to hear so uh my first question for you is how did you get into economics because a lot of my previous guests as you you might have heard um mm -hmm. they've had various different you know paths and ways to you know get into economics and so i just kind of want to hear about your story and your journey um and economics up until this point yeah so i i think that i I almost fell into economics. So I've always been really interested in government and politics and public policy. Like I was a giant West Wing nerd growing up and still am. Um, and I think 
up through the first couple of years of college, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer or like just go into politics. Um, but so I, so I had this interest, but also I always enjoyed my math classes in high school and in college. And I was searching for the intersection of those two things. And so I had an internship in college where I worked at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And they have a research section where economists do economic research. I wasn't in that group. I was in the markets group, which mm-hmm. kind of does market analysis. Um, and I I liked it. But then when I would go and see what the research people were doing, I found that that was really exciting. And that kind of spoke more to my interest. And I, I felt like that's where I found that this intersection of public policy and math i i found that in economics Mm -hmm. and so my search process from that was okay so i've worked at this government institution and i like working in public service but i want more numbers Mm -hmm. and so that's how i found the fed internship and then that led to the ra ship and now that leads to now being an ra and having applied for phd programs so yeah, I guess when I look back, it, it makes sense that economics became the thing that I was interested in. But on the other hand, it, it wasn't necessarily my intention. And I just kind of found it mm-hmm. along the way. Mm, I see. I have my two interests. Okay. So um, was there kind of like a particular class that might have guided you? Because um, it sounded like you were very interested in the, the like the general topics, but... Um, a lot of, at least in my experiences, a lot of some mm-hmm. of my friends have always been like, oh, I thought I was interested in economics, but actually I took the first class and then I hated it or something like that. So um, was there a, like a class for you that made you fall in love with it? Was there like a professor that you talked to that made you fall in love with it? Kind of how did you um, get deeper into economics in some sense? Yeah, so I did have a class like that. I took a housing markets class my sophomore year of college and that class taught by Professor Joseph Jerko at um, Wharton in Penn um, went through kind of the the main models of urban economics and housing um, finance and housing economics. And I think that's where it really clicked for me in terms Mm of issues that I was interested in. Because I I realized, you know, I I was interested in, in education and health and all these different things. And housing and where people live like when when it was explained to me this way i realized oh you know it's this one issue housing is at the center of all these other issues Mm -hmm. and so you kind of it's like inherently interdisciplinary and you kind of get to think about how it interacts with all these other different things Mm -hmm. when you learn about housing Mm -hmm. and so in terms of like types or areas of economics that I was interested in this class definitely did it for me and then also just in terms of wanting to do economic research this class um inspired me for the the the, um final project i did a a little baby economics paper Uh (laughs) um that i'm very ashamed of that looking back at now (laughs) but i really liked doing that and from there i um, worked as a research assistant for that professor and he then supervised my thesis and so um, that definitely like set me off on a path towards economic research. Cool. And so, um, I guess, is it safe to say that your interest 
like at least as of right now, and very interested in kind of like the household um, kind of economics uh, as like a potential field of study to pursue further? Or are you kind of looking at uh, other things? Yeah, I think broadly, urban economics, public and labor, mm-hmm. I would say is probably where I'm, I'm at. Um, I, I haven't really taken a good macro class, so I don't know if I can say whether or not it's it's for me. So uh-huh. I'll, I'm sure I'll, I'll do that once I start my PhD. <laughs> right, right. Once you start, I guess, taking the core of the micro, the macro, the econometrics and whatnot. But yeah, that's very cool to hear that this one professor, thank you um, for, you know, setting you on this path in some sense, right? So um, I actually kind of want to move on. So in terms of, you said that you got your internship at the uh, CFPB, and then you got an internship at the New York Fed, and then you're full-time at the New York Fed. Uh, Could you, as much as you can say, could you go into kind of what are the things that you worked on um, at the New York Fed or maybe highlight something that you were very interested um, in uh, working on when you were at the New York Fed? So I'm working with my economists on a paper that um, we received a revision on, and so it's it's public and whatnot, and it looks at the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on inflation expectations and inflation uncertainty and disagreement. And so when I came to the Fed, I, if you had told me I would be mainly doing research on inflation expectations, I didn't really know what that meant um, or, or, or what that would look like. And I really enjoyed working on this project because it's been a full immersion in all of the different steps of the research, proje- of the research process from you know, picking out the, the right model to actually drafting a paper and working on a like working on responding to a referee's revisions or requests and I enjoyed that because I I feel like I'd had exposure before to part like small parts of the process Mm -hmm. but one thing I was a little bit unsure of going into my RA ship and potentially going into graduate school was would I enjoy doing the entire process like going from thinking of an idea to writing it up to submitting it to going back and forth. Mm-hmm. And I think getting exposure to the entire length of that process has been really fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, and so it's, it's cool to hear that you've been working on that project for basically the entire lifespan in some sense. And it's, it's definitely important to figure that out before you commit six years or, or whatnot <laughs> to, to doing that as like a, as like a career. Um, I think also, if I'm not mistaken, um, from reading the Liberty Street Economics blogs, um, you also work on mm-hmm. the survey of consumer expectations generally as like a, I don't know if you would call it like a policy project or whatnot. So can you tell mm-hmm. me more about like this kind of body of work? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, we've, I've, we've definitely written a couple of blog posts for the Liberty Street Economics blog that I was interested in. So the survey of consumer expectations, which is the main data source I work with at the Fed, is a survey that's fielded monthly by the New York Fed. And the main product of it is inflation expectations, but we also ask about a wide variety of consumer expectations like labor market and the credit 
market and housing actually mm-hmm. um as a side note i feel like i sound like the, the data description paragraph of, <laughs> of a paper <laughs> um but it's 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 actually pretty interesting because you have a survey that has such a wide range of questions that you can look at the relationship between these different kinds of questions and you can get an insight into what people are thinking and how they think about things more so than perhaps administrative data can do. So for since the, the pandemic, I think that we've been able to shed um, light on some really important topics. So for example, we did a blog post on the impact of COVID on families with children and you know, showing, at least from our estimates, the percentage of people who have children who are food insecure or insecure with respect to their um, their household budget with with other things and I think that that has been obviously sobering mm-hmm. and I think it helps to ground the work we do mm-hmm. in this is how this this horrible pandemic is like really affecting people's lives and I think broadly that's what I'm most interested in about economics is not maybe a more abstract like figuring out the optimal standard errors or that kind of thing but there are really important questions that affect a lot of people and i think that economics has a lot of great tools to provide timely and trackable answers yeah for sure and that's actually a wonderful segue into what I wanted, like the meat of this episode to be is talking about the intersection between policy and economics. I'm actually kind of curious in terms of um, your motivations for doing the PhD and even beyond the PhD, what um, what kind of um, jobs or roles are you looking for um, mm-hmm. when with your interest in policy and economics? Well, I hope this isn't played back in six years and I'm, I'm held to this. No, no, not um, at all. But <laughs> I, I think that I go into the PhD with a good deal of uncertainty and that's kind of the point. I think if I knew all the answers, A, about economics and B, about my career, then going back to school for six years would be a little silly to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I... I think I could very easily see myself in an academic job or in a more policy-oriented job. I, I, I could see myself doing either either path. Um, I, I think what's most important to me is like the content of the questions I'm trying to ask. And obviously, that's one of the big appeals of academia is that you can't you have the freedom to pursue interesting questions and you can define what's interesting and so i would i i think i'm definitely open to both paths Mm -hmm. um and i think at the fed it's been interesting to see economists who because i think the fed is a little different and then it's a very it's like an academic setting and the economists i work with are pretty active researchers so it's kind of like a little bit of the best of both worlds Mm -hmm. for them so and then on the other hand i think that there are economists in academia who 
are very involved with policy stuff that, you know, for, like, for example, the economists that Elizabeth Warren work with helping to like craft our tax plan or the tax proposals. And so I, I think that the job doesn't necessarily define how active you are in engaging with like public policy. How, how do we make kind of the discussion of economics and policy relevant for public debate? Um, mm-hmm. Like, how do we how do we bring it up to maybe an average person? Or how do we maybe bring it up, uh, you know, in a very casual setting? Because it is important. It's part of our everyday life, right? But, you know, yeah. how we go about talking about it is very difficult. I think that... I think that we could do a much better job of teaching economics. Um, and I think that that's important to that question because I think that the the economics that a lay person understands is very different than the economics that someone who has studied it more thoroughly. Um, as, as a very basic example, you know, economics Twitter was recently, like econ Twitter was recently ablaze about like the minimum wage debates that there's endless research that has gone into whether or not like raising the minimum wage um, decreases employment. You know, there's, there's been a lot of papers written on that, but for the average person, they just saw the, the one graph and a price, price floor. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot which one. It was <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Price floor uh, decreases job. And that's the kind of the end of the, the, the story and how it's very simply taught in, econ 101 and so I I wonder if we present economics in a way that kind of shows the breadth of questions that we could ask and I I think a lot of people think about economics just as the stock market or like Mm. Wall Street finance types or a very conservative and not, not conservative necessarily politically but conservative in terms of a narrow way of thinking about the world Mm -hmm. and i think as i've learned more and more about economics that's not true right and so i think if like if you can only teach everyone five minutes about economics or one intro class about economics i I don't know if the class that we teach now um does that well and so i think Mm -hmm. that the the the, the starting knowledge that the, the public has isn't very fruitful for having um, good conversations mm. about economics. So how would you go about remedying the situation, right? Because is mm-hmm. it is it is it more like exposing people to research or is it more, um, I don't know, redoing the curriculum based on updating these outdated models? Like, what do you think is the solution here? Mm-hmm. Um, so this this part is not an original idea. I saw a recent article talking about the Berkeley School of Economics, and someone in the article pointed out that in a standard intro class, you spend the first seventy five percent of the class, you know, assuming a perfectly competitive uh, market, and then at the end, you like learn what externalities are, and but it's kind of like thrown in at the end as the last section of the class, and instead of thinking about the world as perfectly competitive and without any information asymmetries. And like, I think starting with 
a broad instead of starting with a very narrow concept of economics and then broadening it as you go along i think perhaps at the beginning talking about the range of questions that we could answer mm-hmm. would be helpful um i also think that my like this is i, I guess a little bit broader than economics but i think everyone should take a statistics class in high school um I think that like calculus is seen as the class, like a pre-cal or mm-hmm. AP calculus is seen as like the class that you take by junior or senior year. And so I think for the average person, understanding some basic statistics would just help them understand news that has to do with numbers a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's a little bit broader than economics. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that does that does sound interesting because I think my personal high school economics, um, at least the way the curriculum ran was, you only had to take either micro or macro. Um, mm-hmm. I ended up taking both of them, <laughs> but mm-hmm. but I yeah. only, uh, but you know for some people it was like only macro, only micro, um, and then stati- uh, like you said, everyone was taking calculus instead of like statistics. So I had actually no statistic knowledge until I got to college, like my sophomore mm-hmm. year, which is like pretty late. Um, mm-hmm. if, if I were to like, you know, start and it doesn't help either because a lot of like the early on economics is very hard to kind of understand the movements of curves and whatnot, like just from a model standpoint without kind of understanding mm-hmm. a little bit of the math. Um, and so mm-hmm. I think that also makes it difficult. So, um, yeah, I, I don't have a perfect solution in terms of how you would fix that. Um, um, but, um, I definitely think that at least for me, an exposure, early exposure to research, um, how it's written, and maybe having a version where it is accessible to people, uh, like a wider range of people, not only necessarily to like other economists. I think that's definitely something I would personally look at. But, um, but yeah, I do agree with you there in terms of starting from a broader topic and then going out into a narrower topic. I think that's also a really, really cool way to, to do it. And yeah, and I think that more and more researchers are including non-technical summaries with their papers. Mm-hmm. And so there's a version of the, even if your average high schooler can't just pick up a, a random economics article and understand all of it, they can pick up the non-technical summary and at least understand these are the kinds of questions that economics can address. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um, shout out to the Liberty Street Economics blog. <laughs> I, I, I mean, at least that's like one example I like to give for people who might not be, you know, in the weeds with the econometrics and whatnot to um, mm-hmm. kind of get their exposure to, you know, finance, microeconomics, macro, whatever the topic may be. I'm actually kind of curious now to hear about your thoughts on how economics is presented in the media. I think that's a big mm-hmm. issue. Um and a lot of that is, you know, surrounding a policy, either fiscal policy or monetary policy. So kind of what is your mm-hmm. take on how, you know, economics is being presented in the media? Is it too extreme? Is it too narrow minded? I think that most of the media that I see, like mainstream media, takes neoclassical economics as the assumption. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Like for again, for example, the minimum wage question. I think that perhaps over the last couple of months, when it's being when it's been discussed, mm-hmm. that, that hasn't been 
as true, but in general, when you think about like the way that topic has been brought up, the, the, the way the news article goes is like, well, you know, there's a big concern that this could um, risk jobs mm-hmm. or there's been a debate in the media recently about the the size of the stimulus packages and whether that's going to overheat the economy and cause inflation and um, without commenting on like whether I think that's true or whatnot, I think that a lot of economists are like like the more recent research has, is not suggesting that that would be true. Are are you interested in you know teaching? Um, either college students, high schoolers, whatever, whatever may be the case in the future in economics, because you're very passionate about making sure everyone is, you know, economically literate and and um, making sure that they have the correct information and not being swayed by like maybe the media in some sense. And so, um, yeah, could you go into that? Yeah. So I I worked as a teaching assistant in college for um, it, it, I think the class economics and public policy so most of the people had to have some sort of economics beforehand and it went into a couple like public finance and IO um, industrial organization topics and I think that was a really rewarding experience because most of the people in that class were not going into economics it was a lot of uh, law students um, and and I, I guess I guess people I guess they were in the business school, so I, I guess they were, they were going into probably finance or um, s- some area of business. But I think teaching makes you better at the, the thing that you are researching almost because you have to, once you have to clearly explain something to someone else, that forces you to understand it better mm-hmm. yourself. And so even going through topics that I had learned a couple of years before that. And so I thought I was really comfortable with having to go through it step by step. It really forces you to, to drill down on the fundamentals. And so I find it very personally rewarding. But I also think that it's just I, I, I like the, the satisfaction of helping people learn things mm-hmm. and helping people understand, like, for example, how complicated the world can be. Um, I, I find that to be and compelling part of research in general. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think helping other people learn that as well would be really exciting. Yeah, I, I always enjoyed actually when, um, this is like a very informal setting, but when someone mm-hmm. is actually always just curious about what I do or like they ask about mm-hmm. this particular topic and then they they come to you and I'm just always just like, oh, I'm very flattered that you think I, I'm an expert. And I'll do my best and I try really hard to always explain it. But um, usually, you know, if the end case is like they really they understand it or whatnot, then, you know, I, I feel very mm-hmm. happy. So I completely understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, so that regards. So I, I, I have felt a little out of my depth since I work at the Fed. And so someone hears that and they think I'm an expert on monetary policy and, and macro. And I guess I probably know more than someone who wasn't an economics major, but compared to the, like the really smart people that I work with, I don't know that much. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I feel like I'm putting up a little bit of a false front 
when people hear that I work at the Fed. Yeah, then then you have to clarify like, oh, I actually work on these topics, and so I'm very good at you know inflation expectations, consumer expectations, etc. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but no, yeah, I mean, I, I I do I do like that, and I always admire um, people who love teaching in some sense. Um, I think it's I think education is very important and helping other people fully understand or be somewhat literate in you know economics is, is extremely mm -hmm. important mm -hmm. so you know i think overall like it's been really cool to hear about kind of your take on you know policy and economics and how you you got into that space and you know you wanted to be a lawyer initially i guess but then you know now you're um, looking into or at least you're going on to pursuing a phd in economics um I actually kind of want to segue that into kind of a more broader question and um, seeing if you have any advice that you could give because you're very close to that process and I think in some mm -hmm. sense closer than a lot of you know my friends <laughs> around my age even though it's mm -hmm. only been a year but um, what kind of advice could you give to someone who's maybe either considering economics or even considering a PhD program? Mm -hmm. Yeah I so I needed the RA ship, the 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 program after I graduated college because I definitely was not ready to apply for a PhD program when I finished college, and not necessarily because I didn't have enough credentials or letters or something like that, but because I wasn't sure if I was ready to commit six years of my life and then kind of a much longer period of becoming an academic mm -hmm. at that point. I think that there's a lot of hierarchy in economics and you can get sucked in really quickly to like, oh, like what what's more prestigious and is this the best way to optimize, you know, getting into this place? And I think you can get away from like the issues that actually drew you to this field. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I, I try that I'm not necessarily always successful. Like when, if I, if I start to get distracted by that, I'll go back and I'll, I'll, I'll read a book that is, I, I like a lot of nonfiction. So I'll, I'll, I'll read a, I'll read a book that's talking about a topic that, that I'm really excited about, or maybe like skim a paper or something that I'm, I'm excited about. And because it's not necessarily the easiest process to enter. And so I think you should only do it if you're actually really excited and passionate about it. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, I think the other piece of advice I would give is going in knowing that you always have options. Even if since the beginning of college you knew that all you want to do in this world is get a PhD in economics, I, I think that while I was doing the applications and while I was waiting for decisions, it's it's a lot healthier to know, like, if for some reason it doesn't work out, you know, I'm smart, I, I have these skills, I can do other things that would make me happy. And so that made choosing a place and putting all that effort in feel more rewarding because I felt like I was actively choosing it, not like, oh, this is a thing I have to do in order mm -hmm. to do to to attain these certain things. I will say as a as a personal anecdote, I think I was originally I wasn't sure that I really wanted to do the PhD. I just ended up applying because it was a path, but I think mm -hmm. for me I got sidetracked because of, you know, like we mentioned, the prestige, the the 
not necessarily only prestige as well, but kind of like the whole process, the research process and and then the publications and things like that. I'm never, but never really focused on like a passionate kind of question or singular subject. And so um, mm-hmm. I think I think what you offered there as advice was just absolutely wonderful advice. And I think a lot of uh, people who are kind of pondering whether they should take that next step um, can use that and help them decide what they want to do next so um that's very that's very good to hear and i'm i'm very happy that you know for you at least that everything ended up working out and you know wishing you all the all the success in the future um for whatever you might accomplish uh down the line um well i i really appreciate that i think that the the caveat to that though is that there's so much randomness in I mean, in in all of the steps of this process, I think that you know you and I have, have both worked on recruiting for the Fed, and we've seen how many hundreds of qualified candidates there are, mm-hmm. and that there's some imperfections or randomness that lead to how we find interns and current mm-hmm. RAs, and mm-hmm. how many incredibly qualified people that apply to PhD programs, and how random it is which ones you know, get offers at different places and that like randomness can work out both ways. And that I, I, I think that that's why staying focused on the things that you actually really like about the field mm-hmm. is most important because it's not, it, it shouldn't be about like, I want to go to, I want to get a PhD or I want to go into economics in order to get the most prestigious thing possible it's I, I it should be because then if you don't get that it's 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 um it's harder to deal with potentially mm-hmm. but if it's this is an issue i really care about and this is a question i want to study you know i you don't have to do that with a phd you can like do it through other fields where you don't have to suffer through six years of yeah. <laughs> of graduate school that's true that is very true but yes Stay passionate, stay hungry, and stay driven, and work hard. <laughs> to to put it in a very cliche set of terms. Um, do you have any kind of personal projects or uh, projects that you're working on that you want to promote? Or um, is there anything that we can look out for uh, coming out in the future? I, on, on the one hand, I'm really excited about the transition from being an RA and working on someone else's projects to working on my own projects. On the other hand, that that is a little, a little scary. You're going from a clear set of assignments to the world is your oyster. Right. Um, so I have an, I have a couple ideas, but n- nothing that's probably going to be online too soon. Okay. Well, in any case, uh, even if it's, you know, you know, years down the line, we will all be looking out for it. And, you know, hopefully they all pan out. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, before we actually leave off, I do always like to play a game with my guests just to kind of, you know, get to know you a little bit better, you know, away from the work, away from the <laughs> whatever uh, professional uh, professionalism, you know. So mm-hmm. um, I have a Q&A game that I like to play. And so I'm just going to ask you a couple questions um, and uh, just answer the first answer that comes to the top of your mind. And they won't be embarrassing or anything, so you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> So, Sounds what good. uh what is your favorite color? Uh lavender. Lavender. Okay. 
Um, what was the last thing you ate? I had a bagel, egg, and cheese. Very New York. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is your beverage of choice? Um, is this an alcoholic beverage or just beverage, beverage in general? The world is your oyster. Any beverage. Uh, red wine. <laughs> red wine. Okay. Um, what is the last song you listened to? Um, yeah, I can pull it up. Um, it was a song off of Hamilton. <laughs> Hamilton? Okay. Solid choice. Solid choice. <laughs> what was the last TV show you watched? Um, I'm rewatching Jane the Virgin right now. Jane the Virgin. Okay. I've seen like one or two episodes of it with, with a friend and I heard... I, 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 you know, I'm kind of, it's a kind of unfortunate because I didn't really, uh, I wasn't that interested in it, but I heard it was really good. So uh, maybe I will catch up on it at some time. <laughs> um, what is you, the last item that you purchased? Um, I just bought a new swimsuit. New swimsuit. Getting ready for the summertime. Loving it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> How many hours of sleep do you get on average per day? Uh, I get I get eight hours. Eight hours, solid. Um, what is your favorite "Don't Get Me Started" topic that you did? <laughs> um. So most of the the show was during like at least the end of the show was during the the lead up to the the twenty twenty primary. And I love Elizabeth Warren to death. And whenever there would be some silly critique of her, I just could not stop myself from from ranting about that. Okay. All right. <laughs> I think the runner-up would be that I am a huge Ohio State football fan. Okay. And so I would not only rant about that, but my co-host was an Alabama football fan, but was like a little, um, but not as passionate about me and so i would not only be ranting about college football but like explaining it at the same time ah, i see um so that was the mainstay of our show awesome um what is your favorite new york fed ra memory um i we do an annual ski trip and so the the one ski trip that i've been on was really great experience it's the only time that i've been skiing mm -hmm. um and it was actually i think it's kind of funny because there's about 26 of us that went and maybe only six went skiing yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so every, of the six that went skiing the other five were pretty experienced skiers and then me who was in ski school <laughs> i see i see yeah i do remember that ski trip i was also on that ski trip and it was <laughs> yeah i was i was honestly just there to not be in the city and it was, it was really nice that it snowed so uh we could enjoy like much wider snow instead of like the gray mess that happens in new york city so yeah <laughs> um awesome and um i know you are moving on to boston so what is one thing that you're going to miss about new york city um i good question so I, I live on the Upper West Side and I feel like I've taken that on as a big part of my personality. And so 
I think all of the really good food and I like having two different parks that are, you know, two blocks from me mm-hmm. each way has been great. And so j- just having, yeah, I, th- I think the parks pr- probably some, some combination of the parks and the food. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> um, and yeah, those are all the Q and a game questions I have for you. Thank you so much for participating. And, uh, I got to definitely know you a bit better from that. Thank you once again, so much for your time. And, um, again, I really, really appreciated hearing about the things that you're passionate in and hearing your takes on, um, policy and economics and your journey in economics and, um, wish you all the best, uh, in the future to come. And, you know, this is definitely not goodbye. You're always welcome to come back to the show and promote or rant about anything you want. So, um, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me on. As I said at the beginning, I'm a big fan of the show and I've loved all the episodes that you've done so far. And I think that, you know, starting something during quarantine is it's, it's such like a weird time that it's 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 always like really impressive to be starting something new and yeah. maybe even like a little bit out of your comfort zone. So um, big fan, very excited to see where the show goes. Thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate that. And um, yeah, I think I think a lot of it is it only goes up from here. So very excited for the future to come. Um, do you have any kind of social media that you want to plug or any kind of, you know, just anything at all you want to plug before we leave? Um, I have my Twitter. It's it's just my name, Rachel Pomerantz, for my bad economic takes um, and other random rants I can fit into a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I will link that in the description of the podcast episode. As always, thank you all so much for listening to an episode. And thank you, Rachel, for being on the show. Um, and yeah, we'll just leave it off at that. Thank you so much for listening. Hope to see you all next time on the Social Science Kaleidoscope. Bye-bye.